Hey, it's Flirting with 30, Season 2. Step up to the 30s. I'm Laura Beth Kewen. Have you ever noticed that on airplanes, flight attendants will usually end a flight by saying something like, We know you have a choice when you fly. We'd like to thank you for choosing to fly with us. I always thought it was a weird phrase to use. It kind of reminds people that there's competition in the airline industry. Why would you want to do that? But it's actually a carefully designed statement that appeals to a cognitive bias we all have. People tend to overvalue their own ideas. So a great example that demonstrates this is by the wonderful Dan Arley from Duke University. He ran an experiment which, in its simplest form, went like this. Dan asked people a series of questions like, how can communities save more water? And then he encouraged them to come up with their own ideas and solutions, like maybe turn off the tap when you brush your teeth. Then he asked them to rank their idea that they came up with along with a list of other ideas that were just provided. So there might be a bunch, like reuse gray water in the garden, or use a low-flow toilet or take a two-minute shower. He also had a control group that didn't come up with any original ideas. They only ranked the ideas that were given to them. Those participants that came up with their own solutions they always ranked their ideas as more practical and having a greater potential for success than the control group ranked the same ideas. So simply put, people just like their ideas better when they come up with it themselves. When a flight attendant says, thank you for choosing to fly with us, they're reminding people that they chose to book that flight and subconsciously it makes them value that decision more. Dan Arley says, this tendency is sometimes called the toothbrush theory because ideas are like toothbrushes. Everyone needs one, everyone has one, but nobody wants to use anyone else's. Since people have different ideas, which they all think are the best, we're going to return to an idea that I've already talked about, having kids. I made a show in season one about having kids. It's called OMG, Should I Have Kids? And in that show, I talked to people who do have kids and spoiler alert, they really love their children. So this episode is about a different idea, not having kids. In the show, the lovely Perrine tells me it's okay not to have children. I'll explain why babies are like origami. And first, a person whose ideas I've sought the most and whose toothbrush I have actually used. My mom. Hello. Hi, mom. It's me. Hi, babe. I, I did an episode about having kids. Now I want to do an episode about not having kids. Yeah. Because that's an option, too. Definitely an option. How would you feel if I decided not to have kids? You know, you told me you weren't going to do that. I don't know if you recall telling me this, but you've already told me that you're not having kids. Mm -hmm. So I, I accept that my children are adults and that the decisions they make are their own. And there's nothing wrong with not having kids, really and truly. Mm. 
other than I I don't get to play the grandma card, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I um, I think that's what I expected you to say because I have mentioned it before, and that was your reaction before was like, okay, dear, whatever you want is fine. Yeah. Can I point out? Um, yes. That you you have three daughters and I, I do. Uh, not that none of us are ever going to ki- have kids, but yeah, um, we don't have kids yet, and it's possible that none of us will have kids. Do you think you somehow influenced us to not want uh, any children? Oh, now that is a good question. Sometimes <laughs> I sometimes I do backpedal and think, what was it about my raising them? They gave them ideas about not having kids. And what could it possibly be? Did I put forward some sort of scenario in my own life that said, you know, it was the worst thing I had? It was all, it was all those times you were like, you kids are so such a pain in the ass. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> no, you never said that. I know. I, I mean, I can't remember these times when I, um, I think a lot of it was, I don't know. I, I keep thinking... The only expectations you had to worry about are the expectations you had about life. You know, what, what's your, what do you want your life to be? And that's really all I wanted. I wanted each of my children's lives to be what they wanted it to be, not what I wanted it to be or not what somebody else said it should be. Or So maybe that's where I was headed, was like you were independent people, I've got you to, like, a state where you can bathe and clothe and feed yourselves, and I believe that you're intelligent enough to make decisions regarding your your path forward. If it doesn't include children, it doesn't include children. That's how that goes. That's a good, like, supportive mom thing to say. Well, that's basically, I think, what moms are supposed to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> Really and truly, not unduly praising their children for nothing, but encouraging them to be their own people, and that's what I hope. And I know that each of you is your own person. Uh, That was the Laura Beth Kewen Award recipient for Best Mother of the Year, 30 Years Running, My Mom. Strap around your neck as your hands protect. That old lens on your walk to my house Dan Arley knows that you like your ideas more than other people's. And not only that, when you work on something, you'll value it more. Arley calls this the IKEA effect. If you build something yourself, you'll think it's better than it really is. Researchers tested this effect at Harvard by asking students to make origami frogs. Student participants painstakingly folded their paper creations, and then they were asked to value them, to say how much they would pay for that frog. Other students didn't make any frogs. They just valued the other students' creations, and some expertly folded origami, too. Those people who had created a paper frog gave their creation about the same value that the non-creators gave to the expertly folded frogs. 
So this confirmed that creators have a substantial bias when evaluating their own work. Through the investment of time and effort, we come to love our creations much more. Okay, so applying this origami principle to children is a bit of a stretch. I mean, we love our children for other reasons too. But clearly, we love the things that we work hard on. And to a non-creator, someone who hasn't put a lot of time and energy into kids, well, they're not missing out because they don't value the outcome that highly. Parents should realize they have a bias. I mean, I'm sure your kids are great, but you can't apply the value you put on having kids to other people who don't have kids. Did that make sense? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I should apply behavioral economics to babies, but uh, I just did. My next interview is with Perrine. In the spirit of being poetic, I've written a haiku to introduce her. She is fun and smart, and she's happy with her life, with or without kids. Okay, ready, Perrine? Yes. So I guess I'll start off by asking, like, what do you hate kids or something? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have an opinion, and it comes from all kinds of areas. Um, I've thought heaps of my life about whether or not I wanted to have kids. And I must say, at 34.5 years old, I haven't come to a definite conclusion, but I certainly don't feel like I need to have them. If for some reason it seemed like a good idea in the future, then maybe I'd do that if I could and all that. Okay, from my experience, from my kind of mid to late 20s onwards, so many discussions with my friends have ended up being focused on kids and whether we wanted kids and, you know, how, you know, people who wanted kids but didn't have a partner, you know, how to kind of, (laughs) how to deal with that aspect of our lives, knowing that, you know, you're only fertile for so long. And I mean, I do really like kids. But um, I don't necessarily feel like I have to have my own ones. Okay, so this shouldn't surprise anyone. But there are plenty of pressures in life to have children. Some of that is external. Like in the workplace, you know, well, you better get having yours soon because blah, blah. And um, No way! I mean, not to me all the time because yeah. I've probably <laughs> spoke, been outspoken about it. Yeah. Um, But it's a pressure a lot of women face, um, or when couples get married or, you know, buy the house or buy the dog or whatever. It's always, a lot of people ask that question all the time. And also the kind of ways that people are excluded from things if they're not, you know, it's a very kind of, the normal thing is you grow up, get married, have kids. But if you opt out of that, you know, how do you kind of create a place for yourself in society? I remember reading about a woman who... um, you know, she's like, well, it's Mother's Day, so I'm going to be celebrating my contributions to society in a different way because I'm not a mother. <laughs> and, you know, there is that kind of real, um, it's it's almost like heteronormativity, but applied to having the nuclear family, I'd yeah. say. Other pressure can come from your family. Thankfully, I haven't felt that too much in my life. Yeah. But I do feel guilty sometimes about the lack of grandchildren I've provided for my parents who would have really liked (laughs) that. 
they've been cool about it, but in oh. some families, um, you know, the parents do put a lot of pressure on the children, on you know, yeah, on their offspring to have the grandchildren. And there are internal pressures too, especially around the uncertainty of what the future holds. I guess I think not so much about um, who's going to pay for my retirement because I assume that I'll be able to, <laughs> um, but more who's going to visit me in the rest home because that was something like, you know, watching my nana die. Um, it was so cool, I think, for her and for us how much we cared about her and she had, you know, she's got... Um, 12 grandchildren and um, and also her four children. And these were people who were really dedicated to making, you know, expressing their love to her and showing that her life had meaning and that kind of thing. So I did, that did make me think, how am I going to make, have a nice um, <laughs> retirement and yeah. death? I asked Perrine... For those of us without an honours in history exploring 20th century views on fertility, what's a good way to get our head around the decision? I feel somewhat ill-equipped to give advice on this, but (laughs) here I go. Um, Talk heaps to your friends and a variety of friends about what they're doing and also older people, like um, people who have chosen to and not have kids. on these topics. I think some people, once they start thinking about it and reading about it and talk to people, it becomes kind of addictive. And I know I just, I mean, because I was doing this study, my friends kind of latched on to that idea. Well, you know, just kind of like, oh, so you'll have an opinion on this or, hey, so what have you read about this? Um, Yeah, I read heaps when I was doing my um, university research on people's different experiences and people's motivations and it really kind of opened my eyes to you know different ways of being in the world and contributing to society and stuff. I felt a bit sad that it's kind of become too hard to talk about it now because while I don't think that you know we want any kind of government to be prescriptive about how many children we're having nobody wants that but I think it's really useful stuff for people to think about and discuss So for me, it's more thinking, kind of being mindful about what we're doing and why, rather than trying to tell other people what they are. But also um, making sure where we can that at least um, people in New Zealand have the ability to control their fertility and know about options where, where they can and want to. Yeah, I mean, I think especially for young girls, it's... um, Yes, the more that women are liberated in our society and young girls grow up knowing that there are options for them other than raising children or as well as raising children, then, um, you know, they'll be happier for it. There are so many ways to be in the world. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, To be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. The more people are free to follow their own ideas and put effort into things they care about, the more happy and satisfied they'll be. There's no need to force your toothbrush on anyone else. And maybe that's a bit obvious. But you know, I thought of it. So I think it's pretty great. I just know where I should be Somewhere else but no one is listening 
taking on my troubles once again. That's the end of the show. I'm Laura Beth Kewen. I need to thank my mom and Perrine for their contributions. Thank you both. Thanks to Martin Andrews and the B-Sides and to Lost Bird, who make the music that's in the show. You can find them both on Bandcamp. Thanks to Wellington Access Radio, where I use the studio. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts and leave me a five-star review. That helps other people find the show. The best way to communicate with me is to find me on Facebook, Flirting with 30, the number's 30. I'm also at Laura B. Kewen on Twitter and at Laura B. Kewen on Instagram. That's Laura B. K-E-O-W-N. Flirting with 30, season two. This time, it's personal. <laughs>